This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Please visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you'd like to contact me for any reason, then please click on that contact icon on the website. You can listen to the show by going to our website and click on the archives link at the top of the page. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes, where you can download all episodes to date. Please leave a comment on iTunes and rate five stars if you enjoy the show and to show your support. That would be greatly appreciated. Find us on social media at facebook.com forward slash Australian Hunting Podcast. You can also follow our Twitter feed at twitter.com forward slash AH Podcast. And also, if you enjoy watching videos, then please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com forward slash Aussie Feral Control. Alternatively, you can find all the social media links on the website. If you want to be part of the Australian Hunting Podcast, then please leave us a voicemail by clicking on the voicemail icon on the right-hand side of the website. This gives you an opportunity to be part of the show, and we will play your voicemail message on our next Straight Shooting Podcast. Donations are always graciously accepted, and you can click on the Donate button on the website. I appreciate all people who listen and donate to the show. Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family and get as many people into hunting, shooting and fishing as you possibly can. My name is Jason Selms and without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Ricky Muir, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I've been looking forward to having chat with you for quite some time, so I do appreciate your precious time today. Good afternoon, Jason. Thank you very much for having me. Perfect. I just want to find out, I guess for my listeners, I've got an array of different listeners who vote for a lot of different political parties, and they've been very happy with your uh, vocal stance on firearms. I did watch a few of the videos when you were asking, I think it was George Brandis, some uh, very interesting questions regarding the Adler. But tell us about yourself, a bit of history, I guess, where you grew up, and who is Ricky Muir? Uh, Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I suppose it's been a hunting podcast. I might stick to that uh, theme just a little bit. But um, uh, I was born and raised in uh, Gippsland, uh, generally around the uh, Mafra Stratford Sale area, uh, very close to the high country. Um, long story short, my uncle was into earth moving, so I spent a lot of time in the high country. Another one of my uncles was a, a very keen shooter, uh, and we grew up on a farm. Uh, therefore, um, I had that connection with uh, firearms and shooting from a young age as well because my father also had what was pretty typical of the era, which was a 12-gauge, uh, a uh, semi-auto shadow as it was, and a um, Ruger 10-22. Um, unfortunately, there was a certain amnesty which uh, removed them from him. <laughs> but uh, uh, I did have that uh, one rural connection and to uh, hunting or uh, sporting shooting connection, 
um, throughout my life, um, I've been uh, born and raised and went through the uh, rural schools, been um, both primary school and high school. Um, had that very keen rural background. Uh, as I got older, I got into the full driving, the dirt bike riding. have an absolute love for the bush, um, uh, even now to this very day. Um, my idea of a perfect holiday is a log cabin in the high country or um, just camping out by the swag under the trees with my wife and kids. It's, it's uh, just what I love. It's my passion. Yeah. Sounds like we've got a lot in common. So you said your dad, was it, did your dad hunt as well as you think you just said? Or was it any, other, any of your other family members hunt now or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start uh, with the earlier part of the question, being my father. Uh, before the amnesty, he had the um, 1022 and the um, uh, semi-auto uh, Shadow 12 gauge. Um, uh, we did used to hunt as much as I can remember when I was a kid. It was more so just walking around the farm. We only rented a property on the farm, but uh, the uh, landholder was more than happy for us to walk around and uh, clean up some of the rabbits which were um, causing uh, damage to the uh uh, delvers and the paddocks as you'll be all too familiar with um, I don't ever remember really getting too many but what I remember <laughs> is uh, walking around with my dad uh, we'll walk around the paddocks uh, usually the evening uh, and it's just something I was ever so fond of whenever he did uh, send a round off and I remember going through the grass and looking for that empty 22 shell and I tell you what that was a very easy mission <laughs> um, uh, every now and then we might have the India minor problem uh, yeah. So that's when the, the shadow would come in uh, handy. But um, I, I really uh, more so remember the 22, and I remember him being a pretty good shot. Um, yeah. But it was a time that I actually spent with my dad uh, that was important to me. It was uh, something that uh, I look forward to. You know, every time I saw him going in that cabinet, I knew that we were about to go for a walk and spend some time in the evening together. Yeah. Uh, st- step forward to the future, my younger brother. I've had a keen interest for a long time and um, hung around plenty of people who were hunters and uh, I used to just enjoy the uh, walking around factor, get, going up the bush and um, being in the presence of the hunters, the hunting conversation. Uh, but I didn't have my licence, so I couldn't participate with the shooting. Um, uh, but my younger brother and I were discussing it a fair bit in recent years, uh, so much so that he went and got his licence. And um, that uh, convinced me that, you know what, that's a good idea, I'll go and do the same. So I went through the rigmarole to get my licence. Yep. And um, I haven't looked back. I've had it now... Not a very very long time, actually. Probably only about the time I become senator-elect. Oh, um, really? Okay, yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've always had that interest, always had that connection, always been around firearms, but I've actually only been a user uh, of recent time. And I'll tell you what, I'm bloody useless. <laughs> uh, a couple of times in that senator-elect stage, I went out deer hunting, uh, but I came back with the same amount of ammunition I left with. <laughs> I think we all have at some stage, Ricky. You know, but <laughs> speaking of that, I think you actually brought up a good point. I, I speak to a lot of people. There seems to be amongst people that don't shoot. You know, we're rednecks. We just like to kill. And as you just said, I think a lot of it. And even for me, um, I, I didn't grow up with a family. You know, that that were into hunting or anything like that. My brother's now into it, but he lives in a different state in Queensland. As I'm in New South Wales. But you know, how important is that? I mean, I think it's about family. It's about connection. It's about getting out into the bush. Do you think this is something? I mean, including fishing, because we do a bit of fishing on this show as well. Is that something you're going to get your kids into? And sort of, you know, like when you grew up with your dad and you looked up to your dad in sort of getting out there and going for a walk and getting the kids into the outdoor activities like hunting? Uh, Absolutely. Um, Fishing's been a common thing for us for for many years. Um, I'm about as 
good a fisher as what I am a hunter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have um, you know, very fond memories of uh, uh, my younger daughters um, uh, catching their first fish, and you know, it's all good and fine until the fish gets out of the water, and that's the most hor- horrific thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was my, my youngest daughter. Um, she, uh, we were fishing out at uh, Holland's Landing here in Gippsland. Uh, yeah. Managed to pull in a decent-sized brim. She was petrified. My other daughter stepped up to the plate and wanted to reel it up the rest of the way, and then uh, we put it on ice. It was actually still partially alive when we got it home, which I didn't expect. Um, so she wanted to be the one to deal with that. Um, yeah. On the same note, if we go out, we did have a, a couple of staffies. Unfortunately, uh, since becoming a senator, they, they've moved on. But um, I, I used to go out and shoot rabbits. That's one thing I can successfully do. Uh, and my uh, daughter, who's now 11, but she was um, a little bit younger at the time, she was very happy to, uh, oh, my brother, we'll go shooting with him, so he'll collect some. Uh, she was more than happy to um, uh, learn how to skin them, how to gut them, and how to actually prepare them to eat if we're going to eat them ourselves. But yeah. ideally, we turn them into dog food. But um, uh, So, yeah, the, the, my kids already have a, an absolute interest in it, uh, not just for the hunting aspect, the social aspect. And uh, I, I've got this theory... Um, if the supermarket's ever run dry, uh, I think it's handy to know how to actually feed yourself. Absolutely, yeah, it is. Um, I, I to- totally agree with you. When you, um, you know, you said you got your firearms license just recently. Um, did you end up buying any firearms? And if so, what does what does Ricky <laughs> Muir enjoy? Does he like feral controls? He got like you just mentioned food. Do you clay targets, twelve gauge shotgun? Tell us what Ricky got into. I don't have a 12-gauge yet. No, okay, um, yeah. Uh, we'll get back to that. Because, Every safe's uh, got to have a 12-gauge, Ricky. Every safe. <laughs> well, it's very, very traditional, isn't it? But, it um, is, I it do, is. I do have an Adler on order, so we'll, we'll get back to that part of the conversation. <laughs> we will, yeah. Um, uh, I won't go into exactly how many I've got, but all my interest course, yeah. in shooting is uh, what I grew up seeing, uh, yeah. which was, of course, the, um, the, the, the the feral animal control, really, the, being the rabbits. Um but we actually have a uh, India minor and starling problem here as well. Yeah. Um, so your small calibre, uh, 17 HMR, 22, uh, and .177 air rifle uh, type things, that, they're good fun for plinking. If you want to go out and just shoot a couple of targets, it's cheap ammunition. Um, you can get a reasonable range out of a 17 HMR. So um, I enjoy and own calibres in that range. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and for the uh, bigger uh, ferals, such as uh, a fox, which we have a problem with around here at the moment as well, uh, two two three. Yep. Um, the deers, three oh eight. Yep. Yep. Uh, and uh, uh, I actually have a uh, Roxy Circuit Judge in four ten as well. So. Oh yep yep. Unfortunately, we can't have those, Ricky. They're they're banned in New South Wales, so yeah, can't have a I was speaking to um, Robert Borsak a while ago, and yep. uh, he he was saying how in New South Wales uh, they actually ban them, but yeah, um, they are fine here in Victoria. Yeah, they are. What? Okay, we don't want to go in numbers, as we said before. What's your? Obviously, you've bought a couple. What's What's Ricky's number one favourite firearm that he owns right now? That's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> I, I would have to probably take it between uh, the 17 HMR and the 223. I've barely got to use a 223, but um, uh, it, it is nice and straight. It's um, uh, you know a good size caliber. Um, uh, I, I do appreciate the 17 HMR for its uh, accuracy and um, yeah. strength at such 
for, for such a small rifle as well. Absolutely. We could probably get into calibre wars because I've got a two two three and it's great on, you know, small game when we get up in the state forests up here in New South Wales and are pretty popular down there with the, the fox hunters and even the rabbit hunters down there. Yeah. It's fairly popular. Um, all right, Ricky, next question. If I had to pick, obviously, I know you said you had limited experience getting into it now, but that's, that's great. That's how we all start. If you could pick a favourite game now or something that you, even if you haven't taken the game, I've got to be honest, people know I, I've been hunting deer, Ricky, for four years now, and I'm yep. still dealless, Ricky. I'm still dealless. Oh, really? Really. Well, you could probably come down to my part of Gippsland and just trip over a deer. There is plenty <laughs> down here. They're, they're in plague proportion, and they are a problem. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so your question, yeah, fa- yeah, no, that's all right. Favorite, favorite. If you even if you haven't got one yet, your favorite game. What's you know Ricky's number one favorite game that he likes to hunt? If you can get the opportunity. Uh, so before I even got my license, I used to go walking through the bush with my brother looking for deer. So okay, deer. Um, it, it was by by large and far um, going for the big game, um, uh, trying to get a, a nice little bit of um, organic venison sitting in the freezer. Um, Absolutely, yeah. But, Ever since getting my license, I've only had that one or two opportunities to even um, get out and, and go for a walk. But uh, at the end of the day, um, there's a whole atmosphere surrounding it. You know, walking up and down the hills, um, going through the scrub for hours to realise you're about a kilometre down, down the road from where you started. <laughs> uh, there, there's just something about it that I really do appreciate and that I think so many other people do. We're just going to go to a quick break here on AHP Digital and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Do you have dull, blunt or badly sharpened knives that couldn't skin a cat? At Scary Sharp, we use a multi-step grinding system and will hand sharpen your blades to a precise edge. Our process of sharpening knives will have your blades splitting hairs for a surprisingly low cost. Not only do we sharpen knives, but we also sharpen scissors, clippers, garden tools, arrowheads, axes, or anything that holds an edge. We are located close to Canberra, and we also have a mail-in service. Visit Scary Sharp on Facebook, or call Bob on 0410 432 852, and find out how we can meet your sharpening needs. Scary Sharp. If it cuts, we can sharpen it. For too long, shooters' rights have been ignored by politicians. Liberal Democrat Senator David Lionhelm has been shooting pistols, rifles and shotguns for over four decades. He knows what shooters want. He challenged the Adler shotgun ban and forced the government to retreat. Shooters' rights are a core issue for the Liberal Democrats and we won't back down. Visit ldp.org.au and vote one, the Liberal Democrats. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I want to find out, start off, because I think you'd agree when, you know, your political beliefs, you know, I think when you first started, some people that did see your first interview, obviously you probably would agree to it, it wasn't great. Um, but you've come a long way, I think, in the last probably, what, 18 months, um, you know, especially doing speeches now and being a lot more confident. I think you'd agree that you've been a lot more confident and it's really showing through. So I wanted to congratulate you first, number one, and I'm sure the shooters that listen to this show wanted to thank you for the for the effort, especially regarding the Adler shotgun. Um, you know, some 
the questions you've asked from the government because, I mean, shooters in this country are a little bit, you know, I think they're a bit hard done by. They're a little bit over being blamed for the actions of criminals when, you know, we don't do the wrong thing. So you know, I guess what's I guess the question is, congratulations first, but what's Ricky, Ricky Muir's political beliefs? Where do you stand? Yeah, on the left, on the right, more liberal, <laughs> socialistic? Where, where, does, where does Ricky Muir stand with the motoring enthusiast party? Um, great set of questions. There's about a hundred questions in that one sentence. <laughs> Sorry, <here>. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'll, I'll try to address it one by one. Sure, thank, sure. Uh, first of all, um, uh, I'm a bit modest. I don't know how to thank, uh, how to really take uh, compliments. So thank you very much no for uh, um, uh, pointing out uh, that I, I have come uh, a long way in your eyes, and uh, it has been a very interesting journey. Uh, long story short, I've never really had to deal with the media before in my life, and. Uh, I didn't really expect to win a Senate seat. I was hopeful, of course, but I didn't really think that I would. Uh, and then when cameras were put in my face, I, uh, like so many other people actually agreed to at the time, was you, you forget your own name. I knew the answers. The question was being asked, but I just couldn't possibly articulate it because my heart you know, I could hear my heart rate over the person doing the interview. Um, and I knew that would change. I thought the best thing to do would just be sit down, focus on the job, focus on what I can do, and... Um, uh, you know, try to come out achieving things rather than running around saying a lot and doing nothing. Um, and as of course, as times progressed, I've been able to get more information, speak to more experts about issues, get more com- confident with what I'm speaking about, and then uh, go and put that on a table. So that leads to where do I stand politically? Um, Senator Lionhelm uh, addressed the National Press Club a while ago, Jackie. Uh, Lambie and Nick Xenophon. Something he said, he said it in such a humorous uh, form, I can't quite remember (laughs) what it was, but it got the whole, not the panel, the audience laughing. Uh, But it was essentially saying if if he uh, wants to support the rights of four-wheel drivers and shooters, he's a right-wing extremist. But if he wants to support somebody who... um, uh, yeah, if he wants to support people who uh, believe in marriage equality, all of a sudden he's a far-left extremist as well. So people have become accustomed to this two-party system that we have without realising that there's other options. Uh, and nine times out of ten, or probably really 9.9 times out of ten, the average punter on the street uh, uh, might actually support something uh, that the left actually believe in. They might actually support something the right believes in. They might want the uh, government of the day to go a little bit more central to where they are and are sick of being bound by ideology. And that's where I come into the game. Um, the, the AMEP, the Australian Motor Enthusiast Party, had certain core values, uh, things like um, we believe uh, in uh, Australia's um, you know, right to support the, the very young, the very poor, the very old. Um, we believe in um, uh, the freedom of uh, association and so on. There's a great deal of... Um, uh, I can't remember what they're called now, but you know, values. There were core values that the party believed in and... and me personally, they're available on the website, by the way. Um, uh, but me personally, support pretty much all, all those values. Uh, so, if legislation is coming through that might be uh, that going to affect um, uh, those who are on a low income or, or working, you know, middle class uh, families that are doing it hard, uh, I'll try to look at that as if that's the person I was. How's it going to affect me? What other areas could we try to improve? Yeah. Uh, so, I'm not bound by any given ideology. Um, I just preferably try to find a centre ground.
Yeah, how's it, how's it been? Oh, there's been a lot of, and you probably agree, I think, too, there's been a lot of changes, uh, especially over the 18 months. We've seen Jackie Lambie you know, move towards her own party. We've seen you know, Glenn Lazarus as well. Um, how, how, one, I guess the question is, how are you getting on with your crossbenchers, and what's it been like your first 18 months? What's the, looking at the political landscape, what's your thoughts? I think you missed one bit there, and we've got a whole new Prime Minister without an election as well. <laughs> this is true, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the journey's been incredible. Um, I'll have to write a book about it one day, surely, so I can actually put my, <laughs> my thoughts on paper. But, um, you know, I was, in the beginning, there was a perception in the public that um, Pup and myself were joined at the hip. That was never the case. Uh, yeah. There was a memorandum, memorandum of understanding between the parties that, um, my take of it uh, was that we would vote together where practical and work together where practical. And that makes a lot of sense. Of course, um, yep. the, re- the reality is now that Jackie's left and formed her own party, Glenn's left and formed his own party, um, uh, the, the crossbench actually works together where practical on anything that they see common ground on. Um, yep. So there might be at times um, where uh, Senator Linehelm uh, and myself agree on something and we might share resources uh, just a little bit yeah, you, you've got to always take everything uh, with a grain of salt. Um, of course, yeah. Everybody in Parliament wants to run their own agenda, so you really have to cross-check everything. But there might be other times where I'm able to sit down and have a good conversation with Senator Zenithon or um, uh, John Madigan uh, and think, you know what, um, we can share resources here a little bit. I'm happy to uh, give you that bit of information, and it's up to you whether um, you choose to utilise that or not. And uh, there is a pretty good working relationship uh, even though sometimes we might completely disagree. And I think that's really what the Senate's supposed to be. It's supposed to be... It's not supposed to be a rubber stamp for the government of the day just to get through what they want. And yep. if anybody can remember, it wasn't that long ago when the government of the day had control of the Senate, we got word choices. And it went through easily because the uh, government had the numbers and yep. there was no way anybody could hold them to account. Exactly. What do you think about the government? I think Senator Lionhelm was talking about this, about um, you know trying to get rid of the micro parties and you know basically put a bit of an assault, I would say, on the micro parties to you know I guess so they can really because they feel like I think this is my opinion from what I'm seeing that you know the, the, the crossbenchers are standing in their way from getting what you know their meaningful reform. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing as being a part of a, a smaller party, we, you'd agree that we don't want to get rid of minor parties. They bring a bit of balance to the Senate, correct? Yeah, so there's plenty of talk about uh, electoral reform, uh, not so much with the ALP, uh, more so uh, the current government, and uh, the Greens have actually spoke about um, the same thing. The problem is with electoral reform. Okay, some people not, might not be happy with the likes of myself being elected, and that's fine. Uh, I, I can accept that. Um, but it's like, you know, any modelling that I've seen the whole time through is it would entrench the LNP essentially in power. Yep. Uh, and the only alternative for um, uh, any, op- not necessarily opposition, the opposition would have its place, but it would dwindle uh, and it would give the Greens a little bit more power as well. Mm. Uh, so you can see why the, you know, the two parties are, are sort of wanting to look at that reform. But uh, again, they're saying that it's undemocratic that I'm there. But it's the... Uh, you know, I was elected under the current rules. Exactly, and, yeah. Uh, if, if people weren't voting for minor parties, 25% thereabouts of the population voted for a party other than the major party, I think it's a bit wrong of them to suggest that if that vote that somebody might have given to the sex party didn't go to... Um, it shouldn't have gone to myself, it should have gone to them. I think it's wrong for them to think that. 
Exactly. Yeah, and I agree. What about, I mean, obviously being part of the Motorist Enthusiast Party, which obviously would encompass, you know, hunters and shooters, which are four-wheel drivers, and, and they own, you know, different types of sports cars as well. What about the Greens? What do you think? Do you really think they're in direct, you know, I want to say not competition, like are they adverse in regards to the Motoring Enthusiast Party's policies or similar, or do you find a common ground or, or not at all? Uh, sometimes... Um, I can see a lot of merit, maybe in in, uh, social services or um, finance, but I think they've got a very, very ideologically driven um, policy base around the environment. Yep. And um, I think it actually completely misses, at least at times, uh, completely misses real conservation. Yeah. And it could actually lead to a great deal of problems. Our state issue we're looking at at the moment uh, which unfortunately I don't have any clout with, but uh, the Great Forest National Park. I come from the forest industry. Um, yeah. uh, I might have only worked in the, the timber mills itself, but I have that connection with the industry. Yeah. Uh, so therefore, I've paid attention to it over the years. And uh, one of the areas that constantly gets put in front of my face that oh, this thousands of year old um, uh, native forest is going to be destroyed actually 1939 regrowth on its second harvest since 1939. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we're speaking about around the Thompson Dam. Um, a, a powerful meme, a powerful picture on Facebook or social media will get around with a, a one-sentence paragraph on it. And so many people seem to back that as if it's complete fact that the fact's lost, and it's the same as our shooters. Um, mm. You put a picture of an Adler with, uh, this is a semi high-powered, semi-automatic weapon. Yeah. People that don't know about it believe it. I know. It's unbelievable. Uh, we'll get on to that a little bit later because I think we'll have a great conversation about that. So, I mean, tell us, when you first decided to get involved with the Motoring Enthusiast Party, how did that come about? Were they, did you form the party? Were they looking for people? Or how did you get involved in it personally? Well, it was very, very early days for a party. I think the party was only formed, I could actually stand to be corrected, which is kind of shocking. But, um, I think that the party <laughs> was uh, formed roughly four months before the uh, 2013 federal election. Um, I instantly, uh, as soon as I saw one of my friends like it on social, social media, I thought, that sounds like a good idea. So I did a bit of research, discovered that they were pretty new, uh, started speaking to some of the, uh, you know, started using social media platform just to put a few thoughts out there and everything, but hadn't been in contact with anybody from the party. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, one of the people from uh, Queensland, who was one of the forming mem- uh, party founders, um, got in contact me, through me uh, because he was actually a keen for driver and you could see the YouTube videos that I've actually been making uh, trying to promote um, sustainable full driving, doing the right thing um, nothing worse than seeing a video of somebody chucking a donuts in a campground and then seeing the campground, campground closed down and thinking yeah. well what did you expect um, mm. uh, so I was just trying to bring awareness to the fact that one, you shouldn't be doing that but two, there's only a tiny percentage of the people who actually get out in the bush that do that Tiny. Exactly. And even my experience is they're generally not actual real four drivers either. They've just bought a four drive or maybe a ute with a bit of clearance, not even a four drive, gone to the local um, campground and done the wrong thing. Um, and I really want to break that stereotype down. Mm. Uh, and so that, that um, founding member of the party uh, got me involved then. Uh, we got in contact that way. Um, I then got in contact um, with some of the Victorian members of the Federal State Council at the time. Uh, and the rest was history. Um, it all progressed very, very quickly, and um, I was asked if I wanted to be a lead candidate. 
thought, well, no problem at all. We won't win a seat, so I don't think I have to do much preparing. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, if I had known in hindsight, I would have uh, done a little bit of media training at least beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it happens. You know, what can you do, I guess? You know what I mean? It's very difficult. Like, I remember when I started this podcast and I was only interviewing people just from home and my heart would race and I, I almost choked up because I couldn't, you know, I was licking my lips and and, and, and swallowing and because I, I couldn't just I almost couldn't cope and then but as you get used to it and uh, I do call up a few of the you know large radio stations here in Sydney when they're talking about outdoor activities or firearms like 2GB 2UE and when yep. you're on you don't realize the, the the amount of people listening or if you're on TV how many people are actually watching you it really is daunting I must laugh I was doing a, a <laughs> on-camera interview yesterday uh, not about firearms by the way but I was doing an on-camera yep. interview um, and uh, at some stage, I knew the camera was zoomed in about my chest, head height, so that's all it was focusing on. <laughs> and at some stage, I looked down and noticed that I was twiddling my thumb. I thought, oh, I must be a little bit nervous. And just by thinking that, I lost my train of thought. Mm. And uh, then I was thinking, oh, dear me. <laughs> <laughs> there could be uh, thousands and thousands of people who may see this and <laughs> bring your thoughts back. And thankfully, they did come back. But, um, exactly. No, yeah, good it, stuff. it is very, you know, once you get that heartbeat up or you get that slight bit of distraction, it can be very daunting. But uh, it does come natural every bit of time. It does. What are some? Let's go through some of the, I guess, core philosophies and policies of motoring enthusiasts. I guess ones that would, you know, be in line with, you know, our outdoor activities. You know, uh, cars, four wheel drives, because we know there's issues, and, and some of these obviously state issues as well. Um, you know, we've got problems with, you know, bull bars, you know, light bars on the front or spotlights. We've got, um, you know, fishing rod holders where you know this could, yep. you know, hit somebody or whatever the case may be. And yeah, go, we'll go through that first. No problems at all. So a lot of that is state-related issues. However, um, something that we uh, are trying to tackle from a federal perspective, uh, and there's actually an inquiry going on into the future of Australia's automotive industry, and another one actually, um, which uh, is uh, what I actually attended yesterday in Adelaide, um, uh, inquiry into aspects of road safety. So there's two two going on, and something that I'm um, wanting to see um, as recommendations out of the inquiry is national consistency. So at least the vehicle standards. Um, so you know, we have examples where you can uh, make a bull bar which is completely safe and completely illegal, uh, sorry, completely safe and legal in New South Wales, but you cross the state, uh, cross the state line into, say, uh, Victoria, and somehow over that essentially imaginary line it becomes unsafe and illegal. Uh, and it, um, you know, but there's supposed to be free trade between states. Uh, that's actually part of our constitution. Yet uh, we've got a national code of practice, which every state then decides their version of what that might look like. Uh, so I very much like to see, uh, and so would the party. Uh, they're quite passionate about it. You're seeing consistency between states, so that way you can have a personalised vehicle, yep. which is proven safe in one state, move to the next without any hassle, move to the next without any hassle again. Mm. Uh, and I think that's that's really important. So if people knew what they can do, uh, where the limitations are, if the police force knew what they were going to be enforcing, it would make things a lot clearer and actually stop a lot of the uh, uh, unfortunate tensions which we're seeing between um, the public and those who drive uh, slightly modified four-wheel drives or personalised um, street vehicles mm-hmm. and, and try to break down that, that negativity, try to get a good relationship going between each other. And the reality is um, the aftermarket industry in Australia is about... When I was senator-elect, it was about $11 billion. It's about 13 now. So it's actually mm. growing. Uh, and to people who don't quite 
get what the aftermarket industry is. If you've just put a suspension lift kit or lowered your car or um, bought some um, uh, decent brake pads or uh, replaced um, your wiper blades, uh, changed your oil, yep. um, you know, put a limited slip in your vehicle, all that, you're supporting uh, the, uh, the aftermarket industry. So it, it is huge. It has potential to grow. We're going to lose vehicle manufacturing, uh, Ford, Holden, Toyota. Yep. So we're going to have a lot of skills uh, a lot of skills uh, that could be lost in those employees if we don't find a way to pick it up. And what better way to pick it up than just having consistent road laws so we can understand what we can and can't do. We're just going to go to a quick break here on AHP Digital and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Spiker are Australia's largest brand of gun safes, shooting accessories and hunting gear and are owned and operated here in Australia. Spiker Gear is now nationally recognised as the number one choice for all Australian hunters and shooters. Head to your local gun shop and check out Spiker's quality gun safes and equipment. Visit spiker.com.au and get outside. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to ozgunsales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers, Australia-wide, and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original Ozguns. Ricky, what have you? I want to go back over, looking back over the last what, eighteen months. Is it, I guess what have some of your achievements been, and I guess what do you hope to achieve? I guess in your in your next you know, three, well, there's six year terms for the Senate, correct? Six yeah, year yeah, terms. Six, yes. year, six yep. year term. That's right. Yeah. Uh, six year term, unless they uh, dissolve both houses, which would be a double dissolution, then I'm out of there. <laughs> so, <laughs> the reality is, I'm a realist, and I probably won't get elected again. Um, do, do you think you won't get speaker? Do you think you won't get re-elected? I mean, will you think your achievements will, you know, will will get you re-elected? Do, are, you, are you going to run for re-election? I mean, that's a good question. Well, that's a, that's, that's a, <laughs> a lot of good questions. Um, <laughs> would I run again? Um, I, I think, I think yes, I probably would. Uh, especially if there's a double dissolution, I, I, uh, which I don't think is going to be. By the way, I just better flag that. Yep. I didn't think that. Didn't think that um, a few months ago, but now I'm pretty confident there won't be. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I've been asked that a, a little bit lately. Would I run again? The reality is more than likely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so getting getting back to that one, just sorry, I know I've thrown a few questions at you. I don't want to get you too <laughs> getting too excited here. Um, you know, I guess what have your achievements been over the? Well, what do you think your notable achievements have been over the last eighteen months, and then what do you want to achieve for the future? Oh, there's probably so much I could try to achieve, but. Um, and, and I should have maybe wrote down a little uh, list That's of okay. things that I have. There's been plenty of little things I think of at random times. You think, oh, actually, I had a little bit of input on that. Yeah. But probably I'll, I'll step back to the last sitting period. Yeah. Um, there was a bit of political deadlock uh, in between the major parties as far as uh, Greenfield agreements go. Oh, well, actually, they wanted the Fair Work Amendment Bill to go through. Uh, and there was a lot of concern around that, that it might strip away a lot of workers' rights. Uh, but mm. there was... Uh, one or two things in there which probably really did need cleaning up, such as greenfield agreements, uh, so that way projects can actually get off the ground in a timely fashion. Good faith bargaining had to come back into place, uh, and hopefully um, unions and uh, employers be able to work together, get an agreement before it goes, to, so it doesn't have to go to Fair Work, uh, sorry, to the Fair Work Commission, 
and um, get projects off the ground so we get people into employment uh, on big projects. Uh, mm. We'll start off from it. You know, these are only projects that are starting off in greenfield, so a, a, you know, there's nothing there. It's literally a greenfield. Yep. Uh, and there's been a, a, a deadlock between the major parties for a long time about that. So mm. uh, I was able to um, get the crossbench together, um, discuss the bits that I had concern with, uh, discuss, pull them from the bill, which I did. I actually moved an amendment to pull them from the bill. Uh, reintroduce good faith bargaining, uh, and then the crossbench uh, was able to work with the government to um, uh, you know, solve an issue which has been going on for a long time. Uh, so you know, that was, I realised in that moment, that was a pretty powerful thing. Mm. Um, the government didn't get everything they wanted. The ARP didn't necessarily approve of it that well, but there seemed to be some kind of sensible middle ground to be found there. And um, and that's the power of the position. Uh, and I, I never see it as a role that, oh, yeah, I've got the balance of power on this one. I'm going to uh, ask this crazy, absurd thing. I don't think that's responsibility. Responsibility is trying to find that middle ground and trying to achieve something uh, to the benefit of Australia. So that's one thing. Um, a very, at the time, uh, controversial uh, thing, but I allowed the um, government's uh, immigration laws pass, so um, temporary protection visas. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, um, safe haven, uh, safe haven, safe haven visas. Yep, yep. Um, but in the process of those negotiations, everybody seems to think that uh, it was my vote. Technically, I was the last person to make up my mind, but there was actually thirty odd other people. There was over fifty percent of the Senate for that um, uh, bill to get passed. So it wasn't just me, but. The reality was, I was able to stop uh, 30 children, or 30 babies as it was, from going yep. back to Nauru yep. um, uh, and their families from returning. Um, and they were able to uh, settle on visas here in Australia. To some people, the whole immigration portfolio, they don't really follow and have certain opinions about it, and that's fine. But, but for me, being able to prevent people to go back to uh, such... You know, it, it is a terrible place. Um, you know, to be able to stop that from happening is huge and probably the biggest achievement I'd ever have in my life. Um, uh, things like the renewable energy target, um, being able to um, get, uh, and I push hard for the inclusion of woody biomass. Again, I, I come from the timber industry. Uh, there's a lot of, there was a lot of the skies falling down. If woody biomass gets back into uh, the red, um, uh, the, the, the forests are all going to be knocked down and turned into wood chips. Oddly enough, that hasn't happened. Uh, and there's probably going to be very little to nobody who'll really pick it up. But the reality of it was, it was, you know, it gives the timber industry a bit of an opportunity to say they are sustainable. Um, and I would like to see um, Australian timber industry looked at a little bit more favourably into the future, um, because we do have chains of custody which are not followed anywhere else in the world. So we're at world's best standard, and I think that's something we should be proud of. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. I want to jump on to, to the firearms issues now, I think. Um, I guess the first question, because a few people ask me this question, um, can the 800,000 gun owners rely on your support when it comes to firearms in the Senate? Absolutely. <laughs> There's no <laughs> argument there. Um, I've actually suggested uh, behind closed doors that... Um, and I think I've actually uh, put it publicly, if I haven't, I'm about to, and that is... By changing laws that affects the law-abiding achieves nothing. If you want to look proactive on yep. uh, anti-terror uh, measures, well, bloody well do something in the area of anti-terror measures. Ex- Don't go absolutely. after law-abiding. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, most of the illegal firearms that come into our country and most of the, nearly all firearms that are used in criminal activities are not firearms that you and I can go and buy, or your listeners, mm. uh, unless you know somebody who's getting it from the wars. Yeah. Well, if we can get them from the wars illegally, uh, semi-automatic pistols or whatever it may be, uh, well, that's where we need to turn our attention to. Yeah. Uh, we need to be managing what's coming in and out of our, our wars and um, mm. uh, focusing much stronger laws on those who are caught with illegal firearms or yeah. breaking the law with a completely um, legal firearm. Yeah. Turn your attention to where the problem is. Don't turn your attention to look proactive in a situation on the law abiding. Yeah, I think I think the shooters just a bit, you know, people that I speak to to, to Ricky, you know, are very upset that every time something happens, whether it's this guise of of terror or it's it was Martin Bryant in 1996 yeah. or it was, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Every time something happens, they say, well, we've got to put these new laws in. But you know, I have a friend that I have discussions with all the time. I mean, what law? And I've asked this of, of presenters on 2GB, 2UE. They say, oh, the guns are the problem. I'm like, well, guns don't do anything. It's someone behind them. Now, if you said to Man Monis, who was in the Sydney siege, well, you know, you're going to get 30 years instead of 15, do you think that would have changed the outcome of what he did? No, in my opinion, he was going in there to either make a statement or he was going in there to die. He knew exactly what he was going to be doing, and I don't think a more severe penalty would have stopped him from doing that. What would have stopped the, the young poor fellow in, um, well, not poor fellow, actually, you know, the, the guy that went into Parramatta ended up yeah. shooting someone in Parramatta? What law exactly would have stopped him from doing that. That's my question to the government. They, and shooters in, both are up... cases, in both cases, you're speaking about firearms which are obtained illegally exactly, yep. and, and not available to the public. So we could have banned all importation of uh, firearms and prevented you know, everybody with a license and um, a registered firearm to hand in their firearms, hand in their license, and guess what? That still would have happened. Exactly, yep. And that's what people don't get. And yeah. uh, that goes back to the meme that I was on about earlier on. I use the environment. Um, as a good example, but it's the same with a firearm. Um, uh, if the government says they're tightening up gun laws to people who don't actually understand how the gun laws currently work, they think, oh, great, they're doing something about terror. But they're not. They're not yeah. doing a thing. Mm. Have you had any good talks? I know, again, David Lionhill and Bridget McKenzie have been strong, as per yourself as well. Have you had any good talks? Because shooters that are talking to me, I mean, I get about 40,000 downloads per month of this show. It's the biggest hunting, shooting, fishing podcast in Australia. Actually, it's the only one, so no, no, <laughs> nobody's willing to come up against me yet. But in saying that, you know, uh, have the, they feel that this NFA review with Michael Keenan is going to be bad. Um, they're going to try and reclassify lever-action uh-huh. shotguns, which, you know, we've seen the, the IAC, 1880, Seven's been around for what forty years, fifty, or oh, since eighteen eighty-seven, obviously. But I'm not sure. Yeah, what... I think it started with the Winchester eighty-seven. The IFC yep, with yep. the um, the the, the, uh, the copy of it, which um, yep, to all the anti-gun people out there who claim yep. that the Adler's a semi-automatic. Or... Guess what? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I agree, but what? Why do the, where, Where's this? I guess it started with the Niowa video, which I don't think Niowa, they're the importer of the Adler shotgun. I don't think right. they did anything wrong with the video. I mean, they're, they're allowed to bring a firearm in that is uh, under category A to sell yeah. and show people, to sell to people, you know, under the, the the current system. I mean, this firearm is nothing new. Why is there this big, you know, complete beat up on this Adler issue? It's just another shotgun. And we've already got the same shotgun in the 1887 that's already in the country. and No one's mentioning that. Correct. I think the anti-gun lobby got into it because it was uh, that they manipulated the uh, wording of the uh, original video that Naira put out saying that it's new technology, so on and so forth. Well, it wasn't, uh, and 
they right. proved their ignorance when they uh, started saying that it was. Not Niall, by the way, the anti-gun lobby. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, I think it just suited their agenda to raise an issue. Um, and I will be very fearful that the... Uh, well, I am very fearful that... Uh, the review, uh, if the review then reclassifies uh, the Adler into Category D, um, for argument's sake, that it sets a precedent to then say that any uh, lever action firearm is um, uh, a rapid fire firearm should go to Cat D. Uh, and yeah. then it raises the question is there going to be a buyback? Mm. When I questioned um, the Attorney General, George Brandis, in the Senate about a buyback, I didn't get a very <laughs> I saw that. positive answer. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> yeah, okay, he was being very careful, so he might have needed more information, he might have needed more time to address that situation. Uh, I, I can't speak on his behalf. Um, uh, but I'll be very happy if you gave him a call and he tried to put, shed some light on it for your... Uh, <laughs> he might not want to talk to me, Ricky. <laughs> um, I, I suggest you're probably right. But, um, uh, you know, I think it is going to set a very bad precedent. Uh, again, that's going to make some people who don't understand uh, firearms or um, how... Uh, legally obtained firearms are not the problem, it's going to make them very happy. But uh, the reality is, we know, as shooters, yep. that these are not the firearms. That it, even these um, uh, stockers, which are, are getting around um, New South Wales and Victoria at the moment, they keep mentioning on the radio that it's a high-powered firearm, but it's a semi-automatic firearm, which uh, isn't allowed to be owned by you or I, unless we've got a specific licence for it. Yep. It is a licence. So if, if something happens in that firearm... Um, you know, it, it's not you and I or somebody else who's looking at getting their firearm that would have been causing that problem. Yeah, I guess to uh, you know shooters that I talk to, Ricky, just they feel like I mean I'm not sure if you feel this way. Uh, you know, they feel like they're being discriminated against. You know, vilified for the actions, whether it be terrorists or criminals in the street. Oh. Now, you know, could you imagine? I've said this to a lot of people, and actually makes people think. I mean, can you imagine if we in the media, I was or I had an opinion article where I hassled you know gay people, religious minorities, Muslims, or you know whether people were, were gay or straight. Uh, or our religious community, I mean, I would be absolutely vilified in the community. Yeah. I'd be absolutely ostracized. I would be, you know, they'd make fun of me. They'd say, this is ridiculous, yet it seems to be okay. Uh, I read an article the other day in one of the magazines. That's probably about three months old now, and the article yeah. was, gun nuts don't get the call. And I'm like, well, how, how, do, how, do we allow, how do we allow this against shooters but not other minorities within Australia? I mean, why are we being treated like this? Yeah, it's the same for the motor enthusiast community. You get a, a, a couple of people going to do the wrong thing and all of a sudden they tar us all with the same brush. Hence yeah. why a whole political party got formed. Uh, <laughs> and true, probably yeah. hence why the shooters and fishers got formed as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and likewise with a few things. But you're absolutely spot on the money. Um, so many people didn't want data retention laws. Why? Yeah. Because they're not terrorists. Why yeah. the hell should we yeah. get treated like terrorists because of the actions of a very minor few which generally they seem to be able to intercept anyway. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, I agree 100% on that one. I've thought of that, that for a while. Like, but you get you do get people out there, Ricky, saying, well, if you haven't got any, if you've you got nothing to hide, what's the problem? Well, I value my privacy. I'm not absolutely. doing anything wrong. I don't want people in my business. I think there's a very, very scary precedence at the moment where everybody, well, not everybody, there's been a big push for many years as being slowly coming in and technology has been the, the number one thing to be able to do it. But if you've got nothing to hide, uh, oh, you're not doing anything wrong, you've got nothing to hide. Well, mm. no, you're entitled to privacy. Mm. Um, I don't like the fact that when I go out the bush, if I've got my phone with me, um, uh, it's likely that my whole entire trip's been tracked. I, I should have that, that uh, right to anonymity. 
uh, as should everybody else. Uh, we're yeah. private citizens. Um, uh, you know, it's almost like um, uh, like uh, governments. I'm not particular pointing at any government. I'm just saying governments, uh, probably worldwide, like to treat their citizens like a farmer treats a cow. You're in that paddock. I know where you are. You've got that e-tag. I know you belong to me. Uh, now do as I tell you. And, um, you know, we're not cattle. Um, we we uh, are supposed to be, in a, you know, live in a free society. And uh, <laughs> I think we should be able to live that way. Um, so, so back to where I was going to with that, though. Um, yep. You know, so many people didn't want data retention. And they accepted the fact that they're not terrorists, so they shouldn't be treated like it. Well, we don't want a restriction put on our firearms. There's already good, strong laws in place. We're not the problem, so why are we treated like the problem? Mm. So, to those very same people that are complaining about data retention, a lot of them are actually some of the people who think that us shooters should be treated with contempt because of the actions of minority. That's yeah. not right. They understand the concept. Uh, yeah. So. I just don't know why it's okay to, you know, if we were doing this to the gay community, there'd be public outrage, the Muslim, it doesn't matter which minority it is, if we were doing that or someone was doing that, I mean, there'd be huge outrage, yet it seems to be okay to, in the Correct. media to do this to firearms owners. And I think, frankly, and, shooters and are sick of right. it. I'm a supporter of uh, marriage equality. I know a lot of your listeners uh, probably uh, think, oh, geez, that's not very good. And rightfully so. They've got their opinion. But, mm. um, uh, yeah, it's not okay just to demonise people because, uh, you know, all we're asking for is the same freedom, the same freedom exactly that right. is allotted to to other other. Doesn't matter whether it's a minority or it's not a minority. I mean, we all would just want it. Why can't we just be treated equally? That we're just normal human beings going about exactly our business. Right. And if we want to stand up for our rights about a certain issue, it's probably because we're being treated wrong, like yep. the other people who are campaigning for something else as well. Mm, very good. I want to go on one here, Rick. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to state my position after that so you don't feel like I'm putting you on the spot or anything. What do you think of John? Because I heard you talk about your dad and his Ruger 1022. What do you yeah. think about John Howard's gun laws? I know because uh, a lot of my listeners are definitely not happy with John Howard and his firearms laws. I mean, I think it's yeah. pretty clear that he hated firearms. Um, to, 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 <laughs> yeah, to, to say my position clearly, I mean, people say, and this is like Samantha Lee from the Coalition Against Gun for Gun Control, Philip Alpers, Roland Brown, you know, they say, well, you know, Jason, you know, we haven't had a mass shooting since 1996, therefore it works. Now, if we just, which most of these people don't want you to know, if we jump across to New Zealand, they have AR-15s, which is a semi-automatic rifle, yeah. similar to what Martin Bryant used in Port Arthur. We've got semi-automatic and pump-action shotguns which a couple of my friends live in New Zealand. They go duck hunting. No problem with those particular firearms. They've got Ruger 1022s. They've got SKA. They've got a range of different semi-automatic firearms. They have also not had a mass shooting since very early 1997. I know John Howard wanted um, New Zealand to go down the similar road to uh, Australia. They said, no, we shan't be doing that. And they haven't had an issue since. Canada as well has semi-automatic firearms, not an yep. issue. Switzerland, I mean, uh, c can we not and, be and trusted? Canada is actually an interesting one to, to, mm. to mention because they actually got rid of their um, registry as well. They did. We're going to speak so. about that. <laughs> We're going to speak about that. We're going to speak about that. But what, what, what's your thoughts on his gun laws? I mean, you know, our shooters were not doing the wrong thing. Um, you know, the, I, in my opinion, these firearms, uh, they're, they're, they're already still in the community for people that, that have got the required, you know, category of license to have them. I don't think they were ever the problem. I mean, you know, we, when's the last time we saw a, you know, lever-action shotgun used in a crime? I mean, and they're now attacking the Adler. So what do you think of the Howard gun laws? That's my question, anyway. Well, look, um, 
for me, I'll state it as in, uh, well, one, I do remember the amnesty because that took away my father's uh, shadow and the, the Ruger 20. Yep. Uh, yep, I'll spit that out properly in a second. <laughs> That's The fine. Ruger 1022. Yep. Um, uh, had he committed a heinous crime with those firearms? No. Was he going to? No. Um, so, uh, y- yes, I, I think there's aspects of it which probably went a little bit too far, uh, but... For my experience as a shooter, they're already in place. As I've got my firearms licence, I get it. Um, there's some accountability, uh, and I suppose it keeps, it gives us a good, strong, valid argument to actually uh, give back to the um, anti, uh, anti-shooters. You know, we actually have laws in place already. Um, so I just don't think they need to be... I wouldn't even say strengthen, because strength is the wrong word. Uh, you can't strengthen them. Um, mm. All you're going to start doing is actually restricting people from accessing... Uh, firearms such as the Adler, which actually uh, satisfy everything to be a Category A firearm, mm. um, and, and you're going to start uh, taking away people's uh, right to enjoy their chosen sport. Uh, just yep. because you own a firearm doesn't mean you have any intention to even kill anything. And that's one of the arguments you see all the time on social media. Oh, you're a shooter. What do you want to murder with that? Yeah, um, yeah. No, wrong attitude, mate. Um, actually, I bought this one to shoot clay. <laughs> I shot this, <laughs> bought this one to shoot a, a little painted uh, target on a um, on a little metal frame that spins around in circles. <laughs> um, so, I I accept the firearm laws that we have, but I do not accept uh, any change to um, uh, make them any tighter on a law abiding. We're just going to go to a quick break here on AHP Digital and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. For everything Bushnell, go to Red Fox Outdoor Supplies online store. For a full range of Bushnell rifle scopes, range finders, binoculars, night vision, spotting scopes and hobbies gun cleaning products. Visit redfoxoutdoorsupplies.com.au or call Greg on 0415 495 712. Red Fox Outdoor Supplies, the only real choice for Bushnell hunting equipment. Do you hunt deer and want to learn the correct techniques for a quality wall mount and premium eating venison? SSAA Sydney Branch provides hunter education courses to help you become a better hunter and to utilise harvested game in the most effective way possible. Course content includes gunning, butchering and caping from experienced hands-on instructors using locally harvested deer. There is no gear required and also includes a barbecue lunch. Courses are held every first Sunday of each month with an 8am sign-in for a 9am start. Course running time is approximately six hours and the venue is Silverdale Rifle Range. Cost is $50 per person, so call Andy Mallon at Silverdale Rifle Range on 02-4653-1440 or visit SSAAsydney.net. I think people are a bit, and I, I've, got, I've got to sort of say this how it is, how people will be thinking it. I mean, I understand from your point of view um, in this culture we have today of Australia that people, as soon as people are even thinking about, whether it's David Lionhelm, whether it's the shooters and fishers, whether it's hunters in general, about, you know, rolling back uh, the, the firearms laws because people, the first thing they mention is Port Arthur. I mean, 
I think 20 years on, I think, you know, shooters and hunters like you and, my, and myself, Ricky, and, and my friends that I know, we didn't commit this crime. And as I said, we're seeing other countries around the world that just, they're not having these restrictions and there's no problem with these firearms in law-abiding hands. People will try and refer to us to America and I understand yep. that part of it, but, you know, we're not America. We've got our own culture uh, of firearms here. Culture, that's the word there. America yep. has a much bigger social issue. Yeah. Um, I mean, they I, border I, Mexico. I mean, Mexico, Ricky, has um, very, very little, if any, you know, uh, private firearms ownership. It's only in very uh, strict circumstances. This is something I've been following for a while. They have 20,000 deaths per year, uh, much more... Or, uh, very similar on parts of the United States, maybe even a bit more. So my, I guess the question is, how do, how do increasing laws regarding specific firearms, like your dad's shadow, as you said before, how, how, how does that make Australia any safer? Yeah, and, and that's a completely valid point and, and why I would not support any changes uh, to strengthen, uh, or, or again, I don't like using that word because it's not going to strengthen. Uh, any changes in the law now are not going to have any effect whatsoever uh, on the law-abiding apart from restricting them from doing what they enjoy, but it's not going to stop the criminal activity from happening mm. with the illegal firearms. So, um, And you're quite right, everybody refers to uh, the US when they're having this um, anti-gun debate. They don't like to go new near New Zealand or Switzerland, for example, which uh, <laughs> have much uh, less restrictive laws, yeah. yet not the problems. Yeah. And of course, if you look at the Australian statistics properly, we were on downward trend since Long well before, before yep. well before uh, yep. the 96. That, just to put on the record, though, and I think yep. it's very important that I do, um, Port Arthur was an absolute tragedy. And Absolutely. A, you know, I, I feel for everybody who was involved, and, and it is an absolute disaster. But uh, even if gun laws were in place at that time, I think you'll find that a criminal um, in very unstable conditions... It's interesting uh, as well because I think, like I've said this before on my show, like I'd, I'd like to get if you actually agree with me. Uh, you know, when... Some, let's say somebody was, you know, they wanted to commit like your man's monus and you, want, you were going there to commit an atrocity. Now, I, I think when people wake up in the morning and they're planning on doing something like that, no one sort of would scratch their head and say, hmm, oh, you know what, I, I, I can't get that semi-automatic rifle today. Uh, because of the gun laws, hmm, well, you know what, I'm cured, I'm just going to go back to work and um, I'm yeah. normal, I'm normal and I'm cured again. Like, no one no one looks at the specific action of a firearm to commit a mass murder and says, well, I can't get my hands on that, therefore I'm either A, not going to do it, or yeah. B, you know, they, they will come up with some type of option. So like, and, man's, and sorry, go on, I, I get yeah. very very nervous when the media uh, starts speaking about other options so <laughs> I, don't want to, I don't want to do the same myself but I tell you now I could sit here in, in, um, in a flash rattle off so many different options where you could cause a grievous harm to, to a, a very large amount of people without a firearm and um, you know, the whole notion that removing firearms from law abiding is going to stop anybody from committing a crime is, is ludicrous it is um, yeah yeah, I wonder how the government doesn't doesn't understand that. I just think when you start associating an action of a firearm, whether it's semi-automatic, whether it's pump action, uh, you know, thinking that's going to stop someone from committing atrocity. I mean, Man's Monist did the same thing. There's no law that would have been in place that would have stopped, especially if he was going in there to die. I mean, what possible... 
you know, law could somebody put in place. It's just, you know, unfortunately, the law-abiding, like myself, like yourself, Ricky, just keep yeah. getting, you know, the brunt of it. But I want to get on my next question because you, you mentioned Canada in regards to firearms ownership. Now, I don't want to mention New Zealand again, but I, sh- I, sh- I should because um, there's the education minister. She was the former uh, police minister. Her name was Anne Tolley. Now, she said, um, obviously, you'd be aware New Zealand has no firearms registration. Uh, yeah. They have a licensing system, which, you know, just to be clear, my listeners would agree with. We agree with licensing. We agree with um, safety and doing a course to be able to be safe with firearms. I think yep. that's really important. Anything beyond that, I think, is 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 not going to solve any sorts of crime. You know, it's been dropping down. But she said there's no there's no evidence, in fact, to show that the private registration of firearms will give any greater protection uh, to the current system they already have. Both the government and the police support. I mean, I would love from our police to be getting the same support here that that, that New Zealanders get in regards to firearms ownership because I think police make policy in this country especially the police commissioners uh. the ministers of police have I think too much of a say when they they should be enforcing the law not trying to make the law so do you agree with yeah. registration and what's your thoughts on registration well it's kind of interesting if we had, a, had this conversation before the Adler I probably would have said well yeah I could see merit in it uh, yeah. although one thing that made me very angry uh, several years ago which that sounds pretty official doesn't it very angry um, <laughs> That's but I, I was reading an article in the Herald Sun about um, an area close to home that had the highest population of firearms uh, uh, per head of person. Well, that was a really sloppy article to put out there. If I was a thief, the very first thing I would have been thinking was, oh, thank you, Herald Sun, I'm going to go there. And that's the problem um, that the uh, firearm reg- registry creates. It wasn't that long ago that there was reports that 300-odd people had got their hands on the uh, firearm registry and uh, it just creates a target for hey this is where I live this is where they're stored yep, can't yep. get them uh, if it ends up in the wrong hands now I suspect especially in uh, today's society the police will be doing everything they can to ensure that it doesn't end up in the wrong hands exactly. but what if it does um, so it, it doesn't um, you know, that you can keep a keep a tab on how many firearms are legally obtained firearms in the community without actually keeping a serial number and registration. Um, you, you can easily do that by uh, monitoring how many sold. You know what's going. You know, you know roughly what's out there. But um, by having the register, it does create that. Um, uh, I, I suppose uh, jackpot of where to find all the firearms, especially if it ends up in the wrong hands. And the administration costs. I was speaking with the uh, Mm, Canadian parliamentarian who pushed for seven years, I think it was. Gary Brightcrites. Actually, 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. So, Gary, that's his name. Gary Brightcrites, yep. That's right. So, I actually met with him personally when he came into Australia. Yep. And he talked me through the process. And it was... I can't remember the figures. Unfortunately, I have to go back to my notes. But the money that they saved... Uh, was astronomical because there's a huge administration cost in having the mm-hmm. firearm uh, registry. Mm-hmm. And um, they were able to free up money to then use in targeting areas which could be tidied up. Um, and uh, oddly enough, uh, by removing the registry, uh, it hadn't had a single uh, implication in crime. Crime rates with firearms did not go up. It made no difference at all. It just made um, owning of firearms, um, you know, the, the, the process of actually obtaining one, uh, safely, properly, and legally, a little bit smoother, and got rid of an administration cost that effectively did nothing. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, Stephen Harper, too. I mean, he's the, or he was, sorry, up until a couple of days ago, the, the uh, uh, Prime Minister for Canada. I mean, he was even quoted as saying that, you know, this registry has not, is not responsible for saving one single Canadian life. I mean, that's a pretty big statement, uh, Ricky, you know, and, and they, they uh, swore, they had a, a, they swore they were going to abolish it, and, and, and they did, you know, and they did. Yeah. And there was actually been a reduction in crime. Again, I don't have my figures on me. I'll be happily be able to send them to you at a later date. But um, there was a small – it hasn't – people think it was going to, you know, blow out. There's going to be guns on yeah. the street. People are going to be shooting each other. I mean, and, and so the problem is in Australia, in particular the major parties, are, are definitely not myself, but they vote by the polls. Uh, mm. So – the, the majority of people um, who are not shooters uh, would be of the full belief that a register actually saves lives. Oh, yeah. uh, so it's going to be an unpopular vote to scale that back. Yeah, and I think is. that, as a law-abiding shooter in the Senate, is an issue which is going to be hard to um, hard to tackle. I'm more than happy to bring it up, though. Because yeah. um, I've interviewed Gary from... Yeah, I've interviewed Gary, uh, who, was brought, who you met, and we had a chat about it. He goes, but, you know, basically it's a, it's a freedom issue. I mean, there's no... And I've uh, written to... I live in New South Wales. I think my minister is Troy Grant, the police minister, saying, you know, yep. pl- please provide the costings of, you know, the firearms registry, you know, for the 2013, 2014 years inclusive. Obviously, we're still middle of this year. And yep. also, please let us know, provide citations about whether, you know, what crimes have been solved um, from the firearms registry. Well, I've written that letter now now probably uh, four or five times a year to different ministers uh, wow. for the last four years and not received any dumb. I mean, they won't even give me the data about how much it's costing the public. I mean, that should be public yeah. information because that's yeah. taxpayer money. That's taxpayer money that can go to schools, education, you know, roads, you know, rural activities, rural jobs. Um, and we've seen in Canada, it's not a problem. And New Zealand don't have it. They're very similar in, I'd say, in culture. I lived in Canada for 12 months when I was 23. Okay, um, yep. And, and, you know, I see them very similar to us. I mean, again, the American culture is different in regards to the people, but, you know, us culture, um, you know, compared to, you know, other countries, you know, close to us, I mean, even far away, it's just it's just different. And I don't think it's ever been a problem. And, you know, I'm still waiting for the data. They still haven't supplied it to me, so. Yeah. Actually, it sounds like a bit of a Senate estimates question. Oh, you're giving me ideas here. Yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean? But, again, why am I not entitled to that data? I mean, why are we spending, yeah. you know, in New South Wales, when it's a five hundred million dollars a year or whatever you know that's a rough estimate because we don't really know um, yeah. on regulating law-abiding firearms owners. I mean I don't mind the police coming to my house I know a lot of shooters don't because I mean I don't know who that police officer is I know we, we, we are hoping they're all going to be you know above board which you know most of them are yeah. but you know what is I, down, I agree I mean I know? personally I don't have a problem with the police officer turning up to my doorstep or wherever I store my firearms and yeah. uh, to, to ask to have a bit of a look under the um, his power to do so I actually don't have a problem with that mm. Uh, but the money, you know, it, it will be in the millions to administrate to, to administrate the um, register. It will be within the millions. I think the question is actually quite a valid question. Could we save that money uh, by taking the attention away from the law abiding? You know, how many how many people could we put at our walls to be going through containers, actually trying to intercept uh, one the illegal firearms, two where the hell they're coming from, yeah. trying to stop them from coming in? Yeah. Um, yeah. So if they uh, said yeah. tomorrow, Ricky, we're, you know, like they did in Canada, you know, this is a waste of money, we're, we're going to be, a, you know, the Liberal government, let's say, which it generally would be the Conservative government, if they said we're getting rid of registration, that's going to be our plan, is that something you would support? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Fantastic. No, that's, that's, yeah. that's without a doubt. 
Okay, perfect. All right, now we're just going to finish off with a cu- one question. Just, we'll talk about the Adler just for a bit, Ricky, before we go into our um, five questions under a minute. We should be finished in about five to ten minutes. So speaking about that, if um, the Adler shotgun, you said you were buying one, uh, are you going to try, and, especially with the NFA review, are you going to be keeping on to the government, making you know, being, being you know, in the know about what's going on and hopefully you know, support you know, the firearms owners' rights in regards to this NFA review and talking with Minister Keenan? Uh, I will, actually. Um, now, uh, if you were to speak to Minister Keenan right now, he'd actually tell you that I haven't actually booked a, um, a uh, proper uh, one-to-one meeting with him, and he'll be telling the truth. Uh, now, yep. why have I done things that way? Well, I've actually met with him with other people, and I've, I've hold, held the government to account in a way which is very public, using question time and motions. Yep. yep. Um, and uh, I've been waiting uh, for this NFA review. The reality is, I think we all know it, as the uh, firearms... Uh, um, policy working group um, that, that, are, that are driving a lot of this. Uh, so I've just been waiting for things to get a little bit closer and so I can get in and ask a few questions. Um, but I will continue to hold them account and I'm not going to go fighting uh, for the Adler uh, or, or you know, the lever action firearms uh, to not be categorised into something crazy because I have one on order. I'm going to do it because it's been done for false pretenses. Yeah. Uh, and it is going to affect uh, law-abiding people. Now, something I'm getting myself distracted here, but uh, one of the questions I, I got uh, on a radio interview not so long ago was, well, why would you want to own a semi-automatic uh, firearm? Like, well, it's not a semi-automatic firearm. It's an action. I can load that thing and squeeze the trigger and nothing would happen until I actually cock it. Um, mm. And if I'm going out rabbit shooting, um, and to people who don't understand firearms, who are probably listening to this show just to try to figure out what I've had to say about it. Yeah. Um, if I have an under and over or side-by-side, your typical double um, a two-shot firearm, uh, once it's loaded, you pull that trigger twice, it will shoot twice. Mm. If uh, I'm on um, the back of a gator, going through the, uh, which is a four-wheeled vehicle, uh, going through a farm and I've got three rounds, uh, I only presume I'm going to need three rounds, so I have three rounds in my Adler, he yep. won't fire until I cock it. He will not fire again until I cock it again. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's a safety element there which people actually are completely overlooking uh, mm. in this whole debate. Now, I'd love to go back to the question you originally asked, but like I said, I distracted myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. It's good, good information anyway. Um, um, yeah, what... <laughs> <laughs> we, <don't> be, <laughs> we forgot the question. <laughs> actually, no, speak, you actually brought up something very, very good with that. Now, I wanted, this is interesting because, I mean, they say the Adler, I mean, all this, info, all this information and uh, talk about five shot, like really two extra shots is the main thing they're really, like how does, I've got to laugh because I'm thinking, you know, when they say, oh, the seven shot, no good, five yeah. shot. Okay. Like, what's the difference between... Then why can't I? And this is not a question I've actually... I actually asked Senator McKenzie, uh, Senator Lionhelm as well when I interviewed them. What's the difference between a lever-action shotgun, five shots, why can't I have a pump-action shotgun? I mean, my friends have got them in New Zealand, Canada. Uh, I'm going to say I I own one myself for clay targets. I've got a Remington 870. Uh, It's no dangerous than any other firearm. It's a five-shot. And I know a guy, Justin McKenzie, one of my listeners, he does Western Action. He will load... A 20-inch coach gun, which is a, a, a side-by-side shotgun, which you'd be aware with, he yep. will load that faster and shoot more rounds than somebody who, like myself, can. if I've got an under and over, or even my Remington, he will load his and shoot his t- five times faster than I can even think about. 
loading my shotguns. Because once I shoot my five shots, then I've got to spend time, yeah. which could be up to 30 or 40 seconds, reloading that for shotgun. So what's the yeah. difference between the five-shot Adler and the pump and a five-shot pump action? I think it's nothing at all. Uh, they're, they're, honestly, there's nothing. Um, and, and this is part of what the uh, anti-gun lobby, again, don't quite uh, get or understand. And, and I think there's even videos online, side-by-side uh, -side versus pump action or lever action. Mm -hmm. uh, get a box of 20 rounds, guess which goes through it faster? Exactly, yep. It's a side-by-side. Yep. Uh, the Adler, again, saying it's uh, new technology. Like I said earlier, I've used the ISE 87. ISE 87 is top-loading. You shoot your rounds off, you load it through the top. The Adler's new technology is bloody useless because you've got to load it from underneath. So That's right, yep. you know, You've got to turn your firearm around to be able to get the rounds in there, and uh, it's a bit more fiddly. So yep. to say that it's faster uh, than whatever's out there now is... Yeah. Not right. Because you've got, you really got to load the magazine. You've got to, you know, that takes time. I and mean, if you've seen Justin, Justin on um, YouTube, I mean, he's an amazing shooter. I mean, now he's at risk of, you know, losing his part, or at least part of his sport because of the government's, you know, plans to remove some of these, you know, shotguns, these IACs, this quote unquote new technology from, from the general yeah. market. I mean, it's ridiculous. This new technology from 1887. <laughs> well, actually, it was even earlier than that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, all right, Ricky, we're going to finish off. One more. Qu we're going to do the five questions in oh, under I a wish minute. I could remember what the other question was, though. <laughs> oh, mate, we've had a fun time anyway. I think it's just, yeah, the listeners will really enjoy this anyway. So are you happy to take the challenge, five questions in under a minute? Oh, sure, why not? All right, here we go in three, two, one. Okay, what's the best thing about being a senator? What is it and why? Uh, the ability to make a difference. Okay, favourite aspect of hunting? What is it and why? Uh, atmosphere. Perfect. Favourite species to hunt uh, out of all time? What is it and why? Uh, deer for food, but um, uh, rabbit for eradication. Okay, if you could hunt anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? You can't beat your own backyard, Australia. Perfect. Favourite piece of hunting equipment you own? What is it and why? Oh, I've got my favourite firearms. Favourite piece of hunting equipment would have to be... Oh... Uh, <laughs> maybe the the uh, Howard fifteen hundred three oh eight. All right, forty three twenty eight. That's got to be a record, Ricky. <laughs> oh, thank you. If I, if I had it stretched out, I'm sure I could have come up with some better answers. But no, that was no. good fun anyway. <laughs> no, good fun. Uh, Ricky, I want to finish off maybe, you know, personal accomplishment, getting into Parliament, shooting story, hunting story. My listeners always love to hear a story to finish off, something where you can explain it, you know, time of day, summer, winter, something that sticks out in your mind as a great day in the life of Ricky Muir. Oh, well... I'm going to have to make this particularly boring. So a, a great day in the life of my... Well, hang on. No, I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate. Uh, boring uh, um, as far as uh, listeners go, um, uh, being elected into the Senate. Um, some of the, 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 the best times like there now is just being at home in the pyjamas watching a movie with the kids. Um, I, I would I'd like to say it would be um, up the bush camping, but we haven't had the time to do that. What's a great day in the life of uh, myself? Uh, I am... A passionate four driver, a passionate dirt bike rider, a useless hunter, a useless fisher, um, <laughs> a very keen hiker. Uh, I'm a father. Um, I'm a husband. Uh, I, I love the outdoors. I mean, that's that's me through and through. Yep. And ultimately, ultimately, the last question, Ricky. If people, you know, when your tenure comes up, I guess what in the next four and a bit years, uh, what? Yeah. Why should people vote for Ricky Muir again and the Motorist Enthusiast Party at the next election? 
Well, I hope by the time the next election comes around, I won't even need to campaign. Um, I hope that my actions would have spoken for themselves um, and, and people will be able to uh, judge me accordingly. Ricky Muir is the Senator-elect for Victoria in the Federal Parliament here in Australia. He joins us here on AHP. Ricky, thanks for your time. I had a great chat and I think it was absolutely fantastic. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jason. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll be back again. You've just been educated and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.